Well, it's great to be with you today on Pentecost Sunday. As Jeff mentioned earlier, this is a, a really significant day in the life of the church, uh, in the life of the early church, but even in the life of the church today, 2,000 years later. And, and I love, as we read in Acts chapter 2, that account of Pentecost, uh, we have this guy Peter stand up and declare to a whole bunch of people, literally thousands of people, um, all about who Jesus is and what Jesus had done and how that has made a difference, not only for him, but for the other disciples. And we saw the church birthed through this and we continue to, to live in the flow of that 2,000 years later, which is great. So today I want to look at um, something this character Peter has shared with us in his first letter, which was sent to a bunch of uh, churches, a bunch of Christian people all over modern-day Turkey, he was encouraging them in what it looks like to live out this faith as a follower of Jesus, even though they're experiencing a lot of suffering. And what we see in this letter of 1 Peter, the first letter he writes, um, we see that there's a lot of suffering for the Christians at this time, but the, the ability to stand in that and declare that they are followers of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, that enabled the suffering to actually... Um, fit into a place where, where God was glorified through that. And many people watching their suffering because they were declaring Jesus is Lord and not Caesar, many people come to the faith because of that. So it really is a significant time. And what we're actually talking about, there's a word we, we're probably familiar with, and it's that word evangelism. And evangelism is basically the spreading of the Christian gospel or the good news, the Christian message, by either public preaching or personal witness, personal testimony. And so that's a word you may be familiar with, and that's basically what we're going to be describing today. And there's a passage that Peter writes, and it's in chapter 3, starting in verse 15, where he talks about um, doing evangelism with gentleness and respect to the people around you. Look, look at this passage. It says here, it says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. You know, the word gentleness is actually a very interesting word. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit that we see Paul write about in uh, chapter 5 to the letter to the Galatians. Um, so it's one of the nine fruits of the Spirit, one of the, the signs that God is evident and working and active in you and through you as a, as a Christian. Um, but the actual definition of this word gentleness is really interesting. It actually means to exercise God's strength and power but it's under his control as it's working through you. It's about strength and power contained and exercised under God's control. That is gentleness. And so in this context of evangelism, if we are, uh, if we are speaking to others about Jesus in a gentle way, there's this sense of authority and power and strength in a controlled manner that is going forth. It's a really great picture. But we also want to do this in a respectful way as well. And so 
the the word respect is it's very um, it's a virtue that's really uh, sought after in our culture in our society, and it's about honouring the dignity of other people, and it's about honouring the humanity of another person, the the thing that is most pure and most valuable. And one thing about our humanity is that we actually have free will. We have the ability to choose for ourselves um, the path we will take, the way we will go. And so when we uh, evangelize, when we speak about Jesus to others, it's through gentleness and respect. So it's, it's with this power and strength of God under control, but it's honoring the person that we're speaking to, recognizing that they have free will. So it's not about telling someone how they're to live their life. It's not about me being the, the, the judge or the moral police and dictating how you should be behaving and acting and thinking. It's not that at all. It's actually about explaining how my life, your life has been changed. And so th- this message this morning, this is a message for Christian people. This is a message for those who would say, Jesus is Lord of my life. I am a Christian. And this is something that we are instructed to do. So if you're listening to this this morning and you don't have a faith in Jesus or you're exploring that or or you're just curious about what Christianity is about, can I encourage you to listen to this message and, and just get a framework for why a Christian person might want to speak to you about Jesus? What is the motivation behind that? Um, but also to have a bit of a framework for understanding what sort of communication you might be receiving that is not helpful. And so you can make that discernment, make that judgment piece. But, but for Christian people, it, it really is about explaining to others when you are asked, when you're invited into that, explaining to others how, how when you've aligned yourself with the person of Jesus, that, that reality actually comes into play, that, that there's this truth about how things truly are that you've aligned with and you've resonated with and it actually makes a difference in how you live life. It is about the person of Jesus. All this is found in the person of Jesus through what he taught, through what he modelled, through what he revealed. And all of this is about life being lived well in in the greatest reality and truth that that exists. So as followers of Jesus, for those who would say you are a Christian this morning, as followers of Jesus, we would believe that in Jesus, through the person of Jesus, we have the answers. We have the answers that are correspondingly true to every question that can be thrown at us about what life's about. They are correspondingly true and they are coherent when all those answers are put together. They actually make sense. And so as followers of Jesus, we are basically saying that Jesus, the person of Jesus, through his life, through his teaching, through his death, through his resurrection, through his spirit in the world today, that through Jesus, we can make sense of life. We can have a hope and a future and we can have assurance about what life is actually about. So looking at this passage again, I want to take note of the the first phrase with all that in place that it's actually about the person of Jesus. We see in verse 15 that Peter writes, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. This is such a key phrase for Peter to use, because when he's writing this, 
They're in a situation in society and a culture where, where Caesar was promoted as Lord. Caesar was promoted as God. And to say that anyone else was Lord what was, was a terrible thing to do. You, you could lose your life because of that. And so we've got this sense that Peter's setting this up at, 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 at the foundational level. And we've just spent the last three weeks looking at this deep foundation of having Jesus as the foundation of our life. At the foundational level, we are saying as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is, is what life is all about. That's the foundation piece. And then we can see as, as it continues on, Peter writes, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, we might not be asked specifically, hey, please tell me about the hope you have as a, as a believer in Jesus. Um, I've never been asked that directly. But what we are asked quite often is, is about our faith, is about, we might use the word religion, um, about Christianity in general. And it's, and it's funny that sometimes we may even be asked this in an indirect way because someone's actually mocking us or ridiculing us about having such a faith. And so when this situation arises, the advice here is be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer of the hope. Now, the hope that we're speaking of here, um, when, I, when I use that word hope in today's um, culture, it, it sort of has this resonance around, it's sort of like wishful thinking. You know, uh, instead of saying, I wish something would happen, we might often say, I hope something happens. So I hope it's sunny tomorrow or I hope I get picked for the team or I hope that boy or that girl likes me or whatever the case may be. But that's not what this word means. The word hope in this situa situation means it's an expectation. It's a trust. It's a confidence. It's a strong assurance of something. It's not wishful thinking. And so hope embedded in this word hope is the belief in the Christian worldview. And that's an interesting term that I want to unpack a little bit today, this worldview. And the Christian worldview, and we've just done a series on this, if you want to check out our website and go through our series on the good life, uh, it's the, this whole picture around what it means to live in the reality of the Christian worldview. And uh, this Christian worldview has not only implications for living right now today, but there are future and eternal implications for this worldview as well. And that's one of the strengths of it, I think, that, that it's, it's not this pie-in-the-sky stuff uh, one day, but it actually makes sense today, right now in the situation I find myself in. And so the Christian worldview, let me just spend a little bit of time on this. The Christian worldview would say that we worship, and the word worship is, is something we ascribe worth to something that we think is worthy of our time, our attention, our devotion, our love. So we worship Jesus Christ as Lord of all of life, my life personally, but of all things completely, all things that exist. So the Christian worldview is we worship Jesus Christ as Lord of our life and of all things. And when we get ready to explain this hope, 
When someone asks you about your hope as a believer, be ready to explain it. An explanation is all about Jesus because that's where our hope is in the person of Jesus. So we explain that Jesus created all things, that Jesus came into this world, that Jesus died a death to solve this problem of separation from God, that Jesus rose again from the dead, that Jesus reigns in power through his kingdom and that he is coming again to renew and restore all things back to its original perfect glory and state. That is what we are ready to explain. And because of this, because of the Holy Spirit, the thing that we talked about uh, around Pentecost where the Spirit came down and just did a massive work in a whole bunch of people, particularly through Peter, when the Spirit is present in the world and in a believer, we then would say the Christian worldview is that we are with God. God is with us, completely with us, like, like linked to, to us personally. And he will use all things in my life to work out for the ultimate good. All situations, all experiences. And, um, and that, that's something we stand on as a Christian worldview. And so this is the reason for my hope. It's actually about Jesus. It's not about me having to convince anyone of anything. It's actually positioning my speech and my story and my testimony uh, before God and sharing with others that there's a reality that we can step into, that we're invited into a life with God that has implications uh, right now, but also eternal implications. And, and that is the good news. Now, the reality of God and his kingdom is, is not changing. In fact, when Jesus came into the world 2000 years ago in Palestine, he came declaring the good news, the gospel. And the good news was that the kingdom of God is now available. There is a way to live with God right now that you are invited into freely, that is given to you through the gift of grace. And it's about accepting that invitation and stepping in. And that was the good news that he came to bring. So this reality is, is something that not only Jesus talked about back then, but it's a reality right now. It will continue to be a reality and it will be completely fulfilled at the time when Jesus returns to the earth to restore all things. Now, having said all that, it's interesting in our context here in Australia in, in the year 2020 that we find ourselves in a situation where the, the Christian uh, faith, the Christian walk, the Christian life is not what it once used to be in our country. Uh, as, as you do a little bit of um, research, it's interesting to note that just over 100 years ago, just over a century ago at the Federation of Our Nation, 1901, uh, historical records would indicate that 96% of Australians um, self-professed as being Christian, 96%. So basically, there was a Christian culture throughout, through our country. Now, that's changed. Today, Christians in Australia, we need to navigate this new world. We need to navigate our Christian faith in a space where it's no longer celebrated, where it's no longer um, popular in the public domain. The Christians today are more often than not uh, ridiculed and dismissed as being irrelevant. Um, in fact, in tertiary education, 
in politics, in the arts, in social media and journalism, Christians are often um, ridiculed and put down uh, deliberately. And so this is something we need to, to figure out. How do we engage with this? If we have a Christian faith, how do we speak to our Christian faith in an atmosphere that is not conducive to doing so? Now, this is not a new thing. This is something that's been going on in, in Christian circles um, all over the world for 2,000 years. There, there are people all over the world today who, who have no sense of what it means to be supported in their Christian faith. But what we see happening in Australia, what I've seen is that one of two things tend to happen. So either we, we blend in to society as Christians so that our Christian faith is not even visible, or we separate ourselves and create this holier-than-thou type attitude, which, is, which just alienates people. It's not something that's attractive at all. And so how does a Christian behave when surrounded by a society that doesn't understand what we're about or doesn't even want to hear or understand what it's about? And that's exactly what Peter's writing about in today's passage. That's the situation that was relevant for him back 2,000 years ago. And it's the situation we find ourselves in today. You see, too often when we're faced with criticism or mocking because of our faith, or we're just dismissed it, that it's irrelevant, it's a fairy tale, that you'd have to be a little bit simple in the head to even believe it. Um, we can reply in ways that actually are not helpful. And we can reply in ways that, that people know some things about what a Christian is supposed to be like. And as soon as we behave in a way that, that you know, we might attack back when we've been attacked, uh, we're labelled as a hypocrite straight away. And once that label's been put on us, uh, you're just a hypocrite, it's really hard to break through that and have any sense of being able to say or do anything that might make a difference. I mean, my, my journey, 30 years ago, I was in year 11 and I was asked to be the school captain for the following year. I was at a small Christian school in Queensland. And um, I was asked to be the school captain. Um, but being a Christian school, one of the one of the things that was expected of someone in leadership would be that you would have a Christian faith. And so I um, had a bit of a think about that, but came back to the principal at the start of the following year, at the start of my year 12 year, and said, look, no, I'm not interested at all. Um, no interest in being a Christian. They're all hypocrites. I want nothing to do with it. Um, to his credit, uh, Pastor Mark Hands, his name was, and uh, still is actually, um, he sat me down, he, he said, look, I understand what you're saying. He said, but why can't you live that sort of life and not be a hypocrite? Don't blame someone else's actions for, for your choices. Why don't you take it on board to, to be true to what you say you might believe? Really good advice. I didn't take it at the time, but, but what I noticed as I started stepping into the Christian faith not long after that was that I was so conscious of not being a hypocrite in front of others that, that it actually stifled my faith. Uh, what I found was that I, I turned my faith inwards, that it became a personal thing. I didn't want to share it with anyone in case I was exposed for not living up to it. Um, and, and, and what I found was that I didn't express myself or my faith in front of others for, for actually fear of being found out. I had this sense that if I messed up, it would totally undo any, 
any um, sense of portraying or, or uh, living out the Christian faith in a way that might be attractive to others. And so I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to do something that somebody might have a reason to attack me. I didn't want to mention it in case I was asked a question that I couldn't answer and then I felt like I didn't understand what I said I believed. And all this resulted in fear. And so I found it was just simpler to remain quiet about it. But this is not the way it's meant to be. This is not what we are called to. This is not what we see on Pentecost Sunday when Peter, a guy who had just messed up big time about three or four weeks prior, where he denied Jesus completely, this guy steps up through the gentleness and the strength and, and control of the Spirit in him and declares this message about Jesus Christ and the difference Jesus had made in his life. One word that's often used to describe what we're talking about here is the term apologetics. Now that term, it simply means to give an answer to the questions regarding the Christian faith and making truth claims clear. What we often think apologetics is about is having a doctorate in theology and be able to explain every sort of doctrine and nuance of Christian belief. That is not what it's about at all. One of the major influences in my life in this area of apologetics uh, is a guy called Ravi Zacharias. He's a brilliant man who's able to do this thing very clearly. He's able to make truth claims clear as he explains the Christian faith and, and the person of Jesus Christ. Sadly, he passed away um, a week or two ago. And so there's been a lot of stuff on social media about him and his influence um, and I mentioned earlier this idea about when we're giving answers to people that we need to have um, answers that are correspondingly true to every question and coherent. They actually make sense when all the answers are given together. And this is something that, that Ravi would constantly talk about, this idea of correspondence and coherence. And so as, as I've been thinking about this, um, there's a few things that I've, I've read and seen in the way he uh, would portray the Christian faith and the Christian message. Um, and he makes this observation. Look, look at this quote. He says, The amazing thing in our time is not just that we ask questions, but we have no answers for even the most basic questions of life. All of our definitions have gone. We no longer know how to define even the most basic issues of life and a simple example he gives there is the question of what does it mean to be human what does it mean to be human you could go into your workplace you could go into a uh, educational institution you could go into the streets and you could ask that question for a whole bunch of people and we would get a myriad of responses what does it mean to be human we make our own definitions. We make our own realities. We make our own truths. That's the culture we live in. We are encouraged to do that. And when everybody's making up their own things, is there a point of, of reference? Is there a true north that we can actually point to and say, no, this is, this is the truth. This is the reality. Or are we in a place where we're all just making up our own thing as we go? So thinking about this, 
I, I come back to the story of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the, the story that runs through Scripture. And it's no surprise that we find ourselves in a place where, where everyone is, is, is thinking it's okay to make up our own definition, our own reality, our own truth. See, right back at the beginning, when, when Jesus, part of the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, created all things, we see this story of, of, of humanity in the garden, in this place that was created for humanity. And they had complete freedom to access and engage and be involved with everything in creation. There was one restriction. One restriction. And that restriction was not to eat the fruit of this tree that was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Basically what we're saying here is the one restriction was don't try to play God. Don't try to be God. Don't try to be the one who, who is the self-referencing point of all absolutes and definitions. God's job is to do that and he has done that. Don't try to do that for yourself. But as I mentioned earlier, as humans, we have free will. And God in his love for us as his creation gave us free will. If he didn't, he would have created a bunch of people like us who were programmed to respond to him in a certain way. That's not love. That's not what God is about. And so one restriction and God says to, to humanity, he says, if you choose to, to step through this one restriction that I have for you, then you will surely die. You will demean yourself. You will reduce yourself to less than what you have been created for. You will self-destruct. And what we see today is that we're living in a time where we have subjectified reality and truth. In other words, we have become people who want to declare for ourselves what is absolute, what is true, and the definitions of what life is all about. I've noticed that when we do that, our world shrinks. Our existence shrinks because our world and our whole worldview, our whole being becomes about myself and what I want and what I think and what I desire. And it, and, it, and it comes in on itself. And the paradox of this is that we actually live in a world that seems to be expanding out. Now, in the West today, in the, in the situation we find ourselves in, in Australia, in the church in the West, we have more affluence and more education and more technology and more medical advancements and, and more employment opportunities than ever in history. And at the same time, as we're making all these choices and defining things for ourselves, we are the most medicated and the most lonely and the most depressed generation ever. And so there's something about the coherence of this. If we're saying this is what life's about and the result of our living it is, is this that isn't working well, there's something wrong there. I was reading just this week, there was a, a big conference in the US earlier this year. It's called the Passion Conference, where they had over 40,000, um, particularly young adults, Christian or, or those seeking the Christian faith, come together for a big seminar. And there was a time across this seminar, um, across the conference in one of the seminars, where the young people were asked to respond to the two things 
that they struggle most with in life. And out of this group of 40,000 people, the two things that rose to the top, the things that, that are the biggest struggle, number one was pornography. And there's this sense that in pornography, when we're making our own definitions and morality about whole things, about how things work, pornography demeans and reduces the other person. But the second thing was suicide. And that's the ultimate demeaning of the self, is suicide. And I just thought that was interesting, that in this sense of we're trying to make our own reality and our own truths, and for many of us, life is not working well in those spaces, the things that we revert to is the very thing that God warned against back in the garden, that when you take this step and try to define things and try to make your own absolutes and your own reality and your own truths, when you do that, you will demean yourself. You will become less than what you were created for. And we're doing that to others through pornography and we're doing that to ourselves through suicide and self-harm. Now, sadly, sharing our faith with others could be considered in our culture a diminishing practice. Too many of us Christians have become reclusive and distant and quiet when it comes to sharing about, talking about, expressing our faith to others. We need to listen to those around us, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbours, to our work colleagues, and listen for the questions that are being asked. And when we come back to this advice from Peter, we need to be ready to give an answer to the hope that we have when we're asked about it. And when that answer is met, when that answer is given with gentleness and respect, many people will engage with what we are able to share. Now, we need to listen to our family, to our friends, to our neighbours, to our work colleagues, and listen to the questions they're asking. Now, they may not ask something about the Christian faith overtly, but we all have questions as people. We all have questions. And some of those questions are about the big issues in life. And again, I want to take this from Ravi Zacharias. He spoke about this often. And he says, there are four deep questions that every human has that need to be answered by a particular worldview. And his belief, my belief, our church's belief is that the Christian worldview answers these questions. And these questions are the questions of origin. Where did life come from? Why are we here? The question of meaning. What is human life all about? What does it mean to be human? The question of morality. Is there a moral absolute? Is there a moral law? Is there a way to live that works best? The way that maybe we've been designed to live. And the question of destiny. What happens after physical death? Is there something else? If so, what does that look like? What does that mean? Four questions. The questions of origin, meaning, morality and destiny. These things form our worldview. Every one of us has a worldview, whether you're aware of that or not. The worldview is the lens to which you look at things like 
Where did I come from? Why am I here? What does it mean to live life in relation to others and to myself? And where do I go when all this is over? Our worldview answers those questions and we all have a worldview. The worldview shapes our thoughts, our behaviours, our responses, our interactions with others. Our worldview shapes those things. And I want to finish with what I've touched on earlier. Our Christian worldview, the worldview where Jesus is at the centre, is a worldview that says that we worship Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord of our life and Lord of all things. And when we explain what that means, we talk about the story that runs right through biblical scripture. The story that says Jesus as the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, created all things. And he came into this world as a person, 100% God, 100% human. And he lived a life and he taught and he modelled and he connected with God and with others in a beautiful way and he died for you and for I, so that the, the gap between us and God could be bridged and we could step into that relationship with God because we could not do what was required. And he rose again after he died. He defeated death, which shapes everything for us going forward. And not only did he rise again, but he reigns. His kingdom is a reality right here in this world and his kingdom will be fulfilled uh, will be completely um, restored and, and and governed in the whole world because not only does he reign but he is coming again to to restore the earth as it exactly was back in the original of creation where it was perfect where god and people and creation resided together and because of all this because of the holy spirit being sent from Jesus, from God, into the world, into believers, into every single Christian. Because of this, we live a life with God. And God can use and will use all things in my life to work for my good. This is the Christian worldview. This is the hope we have. This is what we are encouraged to share with others because when we are asked about the hope we have, we want to share something with gentleness and respect, but we want to share something that, that corresponds with reality. We want to share something that is true. We want to share something that makes a difference in my life right here and right now, but also in an eternal way. And that is the reason for my hope. That is the reason of the hope we have as Christians. That is what we are called to share, not only with others when they ask, but with others through our actions, through our words, through our interactions. So if you are a Christian person watching this today, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what Peter is talking about. He is talking about sharing this hope that we have, which is not wishful thinking, but it's a reality. It's a, it's a, it's a concise, clear affirmation of who Jesus is and what he's done and the difference it can make in my life and your life so that all of us can live lives that truly reflect and represent Jesus and, and reflect his character, his nature, his spirit in his creation. Can I pray for us today? So Father God, I thank you for the life you give us through your son, Jesus. 
I thank you for the spirit that you sent into the world to be with us, to guide us and counsel us and shape us and mould us into the kind of people that you see us to be. I thank you that the hope we have in you is a hope that, that is not wishful thinking, but it's solid, it is firm, it's a foundation. It's a hope that is centred on the person of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that for every person listening to this today who, who has that relationship with you, Jesus, I pray for a new courage. I pray for a new boldness. I pray for a shift in our thinking about what it means to share our hope with others. And so I pray for opportunities, opportunities where we can share who you are and what you've done, the difference you've made in our life and the difference you can make in the lives of others. And so I pray you would be at work in that space through us as individuals, as families, as your church here at Coast Community, but as your global church as well. So we pray these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen.